sipping on your own, what is it? You're sipping on your own juice, Gatorade? Drinking your own Kool-Aid? Yeah, drinking your own Kool-Aid. Welcome back, everyone, to The Streets Will Remember. I am Hanny Jabber. <laughs> Do you actually want to start with that? I don't think I can top that intro. Nah. It'll only get better every week as well. How's it going, Hanny? Yeah, it's going well. It's going well. Everything's fine. Um, just finished watching Ant-Man. So I'm watching the uh, Marvel movies in chronological order at the minute with my wife, who hates them. <laughs> so, wait... <laughs> Where where does Ant Man fall in the? I don't know about curriculum? half about halfway through, I think. About halfway so what if through. so so far you've seen what you've seen like Spider Man? No, no, Spider Man comes next. No, no, I've seen Iron Man, Captain America, one and two, uh, two of the Avenger movies, two of the um, the one with the, the Guardians of the Galaxy one, two of the Thors. What's the what's who? The by the way, one? is an ex- extremely good looking man. You think Thor is good looking? Man, what a what a specimen of a human being. All right, not really my style, but I mean, look, you got to hey, big up big up the man, you know what I mean? Okay, so what's his name? It's Chris it? uh, Chris Hemsworth. What? Chris Hemsworth. So that's your that's your Hollywood crush. Yeah, one of. One of. He's a good one of. Good-looking dude. And I think, you know, I think it's important to be able to, you know, when we see good players on the pitch, you know, you're like, "Yep, he's a good player." I really like his style. His technique is on point, and the runs he makes are genius. Chris Hemsworth, great actor, looks beautiful. And you just have to. Where does he fall on your pantheon? You just have to admit it. I think he's in the top five best-looking actors in the world. Who are the other four? Give me like two other ones. Johnny Depp, definitely. And then, uh, yeah, I've got an eclectic style. And then, um, I don't. What? I don't think you've seen Johnny Depp lately. No, probably not. It's probably for the best. What's the other, What's the other guy's? Uh, what's that guy's name? He's from like Ireland. He does a show called The Fall. Uh, oh, he was in Fifty Shades of Grey. That guy. That guy's a good-looking dude. Some of some people actually say I look exactly like him. Exactly like him. You have, you have bad taste in in things. No, 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 no. I, look, hey, look, anyways, the Marvel movies are great. I highly recommend them for anyone in isolation okay. like we are in Melbourne at the minute where we can't do anything. Watch the Marvel movies. It's a great waste of time. Waste of time. What's the best Marvel movie so far and what's the worst one? The best ones are definitely the Avenger ones. I will say this, though. I was watching Melbourne Victory versus Western United Football Club. You know, Western United FC for those out there that, are, uh, that understand the uh, abbreviations. And that wasn't a very good game. That was not a very good game. What, that was what does it have to do with the Avengers? Well, that's that was why the I, worst Avengers That's movie? why I turned on the Avengers, because I was just like, nah, this game <laughs> is not, no bueno, no bueno, that game. Speaking of movies and, and things to watch, there's a Netflix documentary on uh, Nicola Anelka. I got very excited when I saw the trailer for this. Yeah, why is that? Well, I mean, he's one of those, I hate to say this, and I hate comparing people, but he's kind of like the original Balotelli. And I was just like, he is such an exciting he was such an exciting player and i don't really know that much about him until we obviously did research for the show but i was so so excited to see it they've got some big names talking about him there's there's obviously been like a lot of talk about anelka's character versus who he really is and i think at least in france and it is a french documentary the big perception of him the big story for him is around the 2010 world cup that's right and look did, did a bit of research on this 
he was and is such an exciting player. Um, and I actually met him. So you, did. you got to meet Wombach. I met Anelka. So I met Anelka at the mall in Dubai at some point. It was, in, I think, in 2003 or 2004, around the time he was playing for Man City. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it was around the time that he'd converted to Islam um, as well, because he, was, you know he that... was in the news a lot. He did it in, he did it in the UAE. Yeah. Right. And he actually said at that time that he wanted to stop playing in Europe and was going to try to find a team in the UAE so that he could just stay in that part of the world. He was so happy about it yeah he was he was he was there was a lot of media about it in dubai and the uae about you know the fact that he'd like converted and he was like in the the condora which is the national dress of the uae he was pictured in that and he'd obviously gone through the like converting and so on i think he took the name bilal if i'm not mistaken and it was around that time um and saw him at the mall he was walking to harvey nichols which is like an upscale of course um like department store um, but he was such a nice guy. Like, you know, turn, I was like, Nicola, like across the mall. And and he turned around and like we locked eyes and I like ran over and I was like, can I please take a picture and stuff? I was like, what, 14 or something at the time. And he was really nice about it and just like had a chat for a bit and then just went about his day. Just seemed like a really nice guy. And then you compare that to some of the media he gets and, you know, he kind of looks like a dick in the media. And that really? wasn't really the case with him at all. How uh, How was his English? It was like it was it was broken. It was like super broken, yeah. but it wasn't like we didn't have a conversation about his life and like so on. It was like, how are you? Good, good. How are you? Good. You know, that type of stuff. It looked like he'd just come from the beach. I didn't want to take up too much of his time. That's uh, that's disappointing, but I guess that's what happens. <laughs> so Hot take. Um, let's do what we usually do. Tell me what are your earliest memories of Anelka as a player? My earliest memories, I guess around that time, it was Man City. I can't sit here and being an Arsenal fan and say, oh, yeah, I remember the Anelka days of Arsenal. I would say probably around that Man City, maybe even Liverpool. But I would say strongly the Man City era, like when he was there. And then very strongly the Bolton times. Yeah, I'd actually agree with that. I think I do remember when he was on Man City. But we have to remember that this is pre-Abu Dhabi Man City. Yes. So this was when Man City was really fighting for like mid-table spots. And... You know, it was interesting that a player of such quality was playing for Man City. And then I do remember he had left and, and went to, I believe it was Fenerbahce. He went to play in Turkey. Yeah. The Turkish league was not something that was really widely watched in, in the U.S. at that time where I was growing up. But then he came to Bolton, and that's an era I remember really well because he was a strong player. You know, I think at that point in time, a lot of the education that, I'm, that we may have received around him was kind of the talking points about how he had been this great player at Arsenal, this player of great potential and in his kind of mid to late 20s at this point had not necessarily reached the the level that was expected of him yeah right so i mean in that sense when he actually did make the move to chelsea and it was sort of like you know this is where he belongs this is where he should be i think it was really interesting to see him take a level of prominence where he beat didier drogba to the golden boot he you know, briefly displaced Thierry Henry as the, the point man, as the, the star striker for the French national team. Mm. You know, and I think this is the sort of player that people expected him to be kind of from day one. I agree. And you do look at the list of teams that he joined and you can't help but wonder, you know, kind of see it with Chelsea because that's where he had the longest, I guess, tenure for a, a number of years. But you wonder, like, if he was able to maintain the consistency of being in one side where a team was not necessarily built around him, 
but kind of like how you see now with like Lewandowski and some of those guys where he was seen as the main dude what could have been because he had everything else right he had the skills the tech like the technique a bit of the attitude that you kind of need in that position as well um as and being that type of player he could have been the Didier Drogba you know like what to what Didier Drogba became yeah club legend and I think you're right because he played for something like six teams in eight years in those early years Mm. and you know there's there's rumors that a lot of that came down to his brothers and trying to push him on and try to get big money moves you know he came to Arsenal pretty young because he wasn't ready to wait behind the players that PSG had at the time obviously had an incredible two or three years there including winning the young player of the year first non-English player to win that award and you know they everyone who knew him at Arsenal said that you know, Bergkamp came in and had some trouble scoring goals right away. Henri Pires came in, struggled to score goals right away. But Anelka, right off the bat, was able to score goals. And I went this morning, actually, and watched like an old interview with uh, Thierry Henri when he first joined Arsenal. He spoke a bit about Anelka, you know, as he was the... He's a year old. He's about 19 months older than Anelka, but he was, you know, the French, the quick, pacey French striker that was replacing their past quick, pacey, you know, intelligent incredible finishing French striker and Henri said the thing about Anelka as they grew up together in Clairefontaine and they knew each other for a long time is that he doesn't need service he's a player who can create his own goal scoring opportunities and you know I was watching some clips of him and his finishing is just incredible from every angle it's almost like he's a mathematician because literally any part of the foot any angle of goal he finds that open pocket and his shots are like laser guided in a way that Henri and Bergkamp were not. I mean, we're talking about great finishers here. But I think Anelka really may be one of the most precise finishers that I've ever come across. You're absolutely right. I mean, I was looking at his numbers as we speak. And for a guy that's moved as many times as he has, his goal-scoring record at every club is so good. What, 65 games at Arsenal, 23 goals. So almost only almost a goal a game. Uh, sorry, As a teenager, a, 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 too. Yeah, I mean. a goal in every two games, sorry. Besides Real Madrid, so that's 19 games, two goals. But if you're looking through then PSG after that, 39 games, 10 goals. Not bad. Man City, 89 games, 37 goals. So he's almost averaging like a goal every 2.7, 2.6 games, which is not right. bad. Not all those teams were, I mean, apart from Real, where he won the Champions League, by the way. Yeah. And Arsenal, not all those teams are competing for the top of the no. league all the time. Like Man City at that time, like we discussed, is not a top-level team. To, so to have that goal-scoring record is quite good. It's unbelievable. And, you know, so much of being a striker and scoring goals is about finding a flow. And the hard part about playing on a mid-level, mid-club team is that a lot of the, the play can be reactive. You know, when you're playing top teams, you're not getting the same service every game no. the, the way that you do when you're, when you're at a top team. And so for him to score goals at that level throughout his career is, is quite interesting. It plays into the point that you're making about like he, or like what Henri said was that he makes his own goals. He can make his own goals. And the stats show that, like the numbers alone show that. I mean, Bolton Wanderers, 2006 to 2008, Sam Allardyce years, 53 games, 21 goals. What? Also, how did Sam Allardyce manage so many good players? How did this, yeah, how did this happen? JJ Okocha, Nakata. Be- like what? Right, and then he becomes a uh, Mr. Brexit. Yeah, just like what, what do you say? If I was if I was European, I'd be managing like whatever. Yeah, is that was the, that was the joke <laughs> yeah. that people had for him? Oh. Um, you know, there's a funny story about you know Anelka, and I think 
as we as we get into this episode, we'll we'll speak more about his personality and kind of the controversies that that surrounded him in his career. You know, one of the first ones that he had was being at Real Madrid, and Vicente uh, del Bosque, who was the manager at the time, came to him at one point and said in the locker room and said, "Listen, people are upset here that you're not celebrating your goals enough." Like he would score goals and be kind of you know kind of quiet. They called you know the nickname the Incredible Sulk, mm. but um, Basically, because he wasn't showing great joy and passion when he was scoring goals, he had a problem with the fans. And that was one of the things that led to his desire to move on from uh, Real Madrid, even though he was pretty important to that Champions League. I believe he scored a, like a brace in the finals against Bayern Munich. He had kind of this reputation for being moody, for being isolated. All his coaches kind of said the same thing. He kept to himself, but if you approached him, as other players often did, and, and talked to him and tried to build a relationship with him. He was incredibly friendly, incredibly, you know, amicable, worked well in the team. So he kind of got this this reputation early on for being a bit moody. And I think that was also partis- uh, precipitated a bit by um, this perception that he wasn't happy at clubs, that he kept wanting to move clubs or change clubs. And again, like I've said, media reports say that a lot of that was due to his older brothers who were both about a decade, give or take, older than him, mm-hmm. that wanted to you know, secure big moves and things like that, probably also filling his head with things like, you know, you're a great player, which he was, and that you deserve to be on the best teams playing all the time. And, you know, I think in a sense, there are players who have that arrogance, who have that that level, in it, and it takes them somewhere. And being a top-level footballer, you know, a lot of a lot of realizing your potential or, or even surpassing that potential is based on kind of fortune and luck and what chances fall and how things work out. You know, there's plenty of stories about Messi being a young guy and potentially going out on loan mm. and maybe being transferred to another club and I think we can ask the same questions for a lot of these guys if they're if things had panned out just slightly differently if they'd taken one different decision their career could be completely different and I think you know that probably applies to Anelka so here's the thing with like someone like Anelka Balotelli I mentioned him before the only reason I did is because you know there are some similarities in the way that they've reacted in certain situations and you look at like Anelka or you look at Balotelli and you say, you know, we've spoken about managers in the past, Pep Guardiola, Bielsa, Arsene Wenger, obviously. And we talk about their effect on players, how they can take a player that is, you know, got either raw talent or doesn't have that confidence and then build them up and, and give them that opportunity to become 10 times better than they are. Right. Arsene Wenger has shown time and time and again how he's able to do that. I mean, if we look at the players that have left Arsenal over the years that have gone from playing in an Arsenal setup with Arsene Wenger as a manager going to another club, you know, they're not the same player. Nicolas Anelka had the opportunity at the time when he was young to be with probably the best man manager at the time in Arsene Wenger. And he made that move to Real Madrid, obviously, for a lot of money. And there was a lot of opportunity there. Fair enough. But that is exactly the kind of moment you're talking about. Like, what could have been had he stayed and had Arsene Wenger continue to be his, like, mentor and, you know, guide him? Would that have changed the trajectory of his career, who he would have become, what his legacy really is in the game versus what it became? Which is, I look, a, a journeyman a, that, you know, ended up playing for teams and managers that probably were never going to get the best out of him. You know, you're talking about, what, Man City at that time? Was that Mark Hughes, maybe? Um, I think it was Kevin Keegan. Kevin Keegan, uh, Sam Allardyce. No disrespect to them, but they just weren't the kind of guy that were probably going to get the best out of Nicolas Anelka at that point in his career as well, you know? 
And you look at that and you go, that is a missed opportunity. I think that's an interesting hypothetical because one of the big reasons why that Arsenal period like fell apart, let's say, was he gave uh, an interview to the media and he felt it was interpreted miscorrectly, as well as the fact that there was a fan poll where people were voting between Anelka and Ian Wright. And Anelka had basically displaced Ian Wright from the team. But, you know, the fan poll, I think they asked something like, who do you have more affection for? It was something along those lines. And I mean, anyways, we're, we're talking about at this point, pre-Thierry Henry, Ian Wright is the all-time record goal scorer for Arsenal. You know, he's given them beautiful moments. He's given them great memories, great goals. So it's kind of inevitable that they're going to vote for Ian Wright. Mm. But, you know, a young teenage Anelka who felt like he's given so much effort and scored so many beautiful goals and led the team to, you know, maybe even more than Vieira in a sense, like the first breakout star for the Arsene Wenger era. So you can see how maybe he, he interpreted that in kind of a bad way. And then the, the story goes that when he was voted Young Player of the Year, he didn't show up to receive the award. He was kind of like, yeah, I'm not bothered at this point. And so Tony Adams had to go collect the award for him. I think one of the reasons why he's such a fascinating character is because he has this kind of, there is this what if, of course, mm. but there's also kind of this uh, duality of character of people talking about how he's such a great guy and all these things. But then you also think about the controversies of his career. We have the 2010 World Cup. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there was the, you know, when he had finally made his comeback, was starting to do something quite well for West Brom kind of later in his career. And he did what is called the Kunel gesture, which is an anti-Semitic gesture and um, kind of his interpretation of it, of what it, you know, what is supposed to mean and everything that's tied up into it and why it became such a controversy, not just in France, but in the UK and, and globally as well. And that was basically what ended his career at the top level. Mm. So, you know, these complexities are what, what make his story so interesting as well. And I think, you know, this will be a great opportunity to take a critical look into those things besides just who he is as a player those moments, those key moments that kind of hit his career and it impacted the world beyond his career. He's a really good example, and this is something we see quite often with football players. I've got a funny story to tell you about El Haji Diouf as part of this, but the people that you have in the background guiding you on your career as a footballer is more important than, maybe not more important, but is almost equally as important as the managers and the teammates you've got. They're the ones that are going to help guide you. Community and support group is huge. And any player who's made at the top had huge familial support. I mean, maybe maybe not at first. Some players had to sneak out and play in the streets or whatever. But for the most part, a lot of them had the buy-in of the family. You know, they moved mm. houses, you know, as when the, ki when the kids were in their early teens because they realized that they might have a future playing in this game. And without that, I think it's almost impossible to make it at the top level. Absolutely. But it also comes down to, like, how much... You're sipping on your own, what is it? You're sipping on your own juice, Gatorade? Drinking your own Kool-Aid? Yeah, drinking your own Kool-Aid. The people around you are supposed to give you the confidence, right? They're supposed to help build up your ego a little bit. But there is a point in which it becomes a negative. And I'm talking about like in this instance. Obviously, Anelka wanted to feel loved. He wanted his ego stroked potentially, or he wanted to receive from the fans and from his teammates and from his coaches the same amount of love that he's probably receiving from the people on his in his personal life. And he just never was going to get that. You know, Real Madrid, you're going to go over there. You've got Hierro, Raul. You've got these Galacticos, like these unbelievable stars. You're not going to walk in there. They're not going to bow down to you. 
But that's probably what he was being told. Hey, you're the greatest youngster that's ever seen, been seen. Like, you're going to come into this team. You're going to take over. You're going to make things happen. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And then when you're scoring goals and the fans are like, yeah, nice one. And your play- the players that, you know, they've probably seen players like you, they're not going to bow down to you. When you're a teenager, I mean, you don't really realize that people have seen everything before. You know, mm. you don't realize the kind of cycles and patterns that they go through. Yep. I think one reason why Anelka still talks so highly about Wenger is Wenger did make him feel loved and appreciated, but maybe the fans didn't give him the level of adoration that he felt he deserved. And there's a argument to be made here that maybe he needed better advisors who, you know, were able to give him a bit of humility along with the confidence that he needed. But, you know, at the same time, you know, it's a volatile world. Mm. You know what I mean? And I find it hard to fault young people having to make these decisions even even if he had brothers that were older than him because you know in a sense they're not necessarily people who have the best experience in terms of these sort of decisions either and they've got their own motives and motivations and and drives no for sure and so i think when we look back at anelka's career he had more than a solid career he had a very strong career if anyone other than nikola anelka had had that career you need to say, yeah, that guy had a really solid one. Mm. Did he reach the level that he could have? Is he a legendary guy? Is there, is there a statue of him somewhere? Could there be? You'll have to find out in the next segment. And that's probably a good transition over to the next segment. But I really wanted to tell my al Haji Diouf story. Okay, before we break, tell us your al Haji Diouf story, honey. I can't remember what year this was. Um, and the reason for that was because I was drinking quite a bit. But we were at a bar in Dubai called... Good start. Good start. <laughs> we were at a bar called Barasti. Shout out Barasti in Dubai. And I look over to my left and I see El Haji Diouf. And I also see Jermaine Pennant. Which, by the way, two people you definitely want to party with. I didn't get to party with them because I'm not that important. But nonetheless, they looked like they were having a great time. Went up to El Haji Diouf and I said, Hey man, big fan. How's life? What's going on? What's new? I could communicate with him in comparison to Anelka. And this guy, I remember him saying he was like super arrogant. And he was like, oh, yeah, man, it's amazing. Life is good. Life is good. I'm like, where are you now? And he goes, oh, Doncaster Rovers. I'm bringing the light to Doncaster. I mean, where's the lie, though? I mean, this is this is the oof. He is a legend. And he was like, I was like, I was like, bringing the light. He's like, I'm bringing the light, baby. I'm bringing the light to Doncaster. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. He's like, all right, man, I'm going to go. I'm like, OK, bye, bye. <laughs> it's just incredible that he thought he was bringing the light to Doncaster. I think he was there for like a year and a half and he was out <laughs> out of there. It's just so funny. I mean, in a sense, if a player like Diouf goes to Doncaster, suddenly there's going to be at least a handful of Doncaster fans in a place like Senegal now. <laughs> for sure. So, I mean, you know, for sure. that's a great way for international marketing and everything else. You know, I can't, I can't fault the guy. I would love to do an episode on Diouf, though, because that's somebody I have a lot of opinions about. Him. Ooh, yes. Okay, yeah, let's break and we'll come back talking Anelka's legacy, Dio's legacy for another time. Welcome back and let's talk legacy, Justin. You can talk legacy now. I think we should start off. I'm going to read a couple of tweets that I got. Cool. Who we got today? I'm enjoying these tweets as well. We've got some very um, insightful human beings that you know. <laughs> <laughs> the first one I have is from Fede Pramel. 
What up, Fede? Loyal listener to the podcast. Fede says, making Onri to Arsenal possible. Because as you know, the sale of Anelka for about 23.5 million pounds not only bought Henri, but also was able to afford the London Colney training ground. That's like they use that money to build like the modern training ground and take Arsenal kind of to the next level. But did you know that actually Wenger kind of had this plan in his head to buy Henri anyways and wanted to pl- pair them together up front? That would have been incredible with Burkamp behind. Ooh. Ooh. Just imagine. Ugh. Just imagine. Man, that, that would put Mane, Salah, and Firmino to shame. Hot take, hot take. <laughs> All right, we got one from Musa Okwanga, who says, could have been one of the greatest MCs of all time, but had to settle for a couple of classic EPs. Hani, who's the MC equivalent then? Could have been one of the greatest MCs of all time, but had to settle for a couple of classic EPs. Ooh, I haven't thought about this. That's very hard. I don't know. Let me get back I, to you. I asked if it might be uh, Lupe Fiasco. Ooh. I'm going to give you one. Kid Cudi. Hmm. Like burst out the door. Yep. Kind of criticized for a while. Yep. Everybody recognizes talent. Yep. The difference, I think, with Kid Cudi, though, is he Kid Cudi has, like, supreme loyalty. Like, people love Cudi. You know, people who like Cudi's early work to this day, like, they love Cudi. There's not that many Anelka stands. No. You know what I mean? No, definitely not. No, if any, like, how many players do you know that say Anelka is my favorite player? No. No, I don't know anyone that would say that. Literally, I okay, don't know anyone. One more tweet. <laughs> one more tweet. You ready? This one is from Fabian Goa. Fabian? Fabian says, The only man to get Yapstam shook to the detriment of all other strikers who had to face him after that. And I know Fabian is a Man United fan, so those are big words coming from him. Yapstam shook. What game was that? Can you send me the clips that? I'd love to see Yapstam shook. So here's the yeah. thing. That Man United, like, Yapstam and Peter Schmeichel is like having two Terminators in the back. They, those I two could, like, nightmares. choke someone out and you wouldn't, they wouldn't even feel anything. They wouldn't feel remorse. Nothing. I still have nightmares from Yapstam's, like, face in my dreams. Like, I, I think he's probably a perfectly pleasant human being. But, like, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night sweating because I saw a headshot of Yapstam the day before. Was it that MLS team that messed up? Was it MLS? No, it was in the UK. Was it UK or MLS? Or no, no, it was it, it was MLS. He took over of Cincinnati yeah, FC. And I'm telling you, the reason is because the social media manager <laughs> couldn't stare the photo in the eye. It was too fucking scary. <laughs> oh, that was jokes. Yeah, so that's... I think it was probably one of the most important sales in Arsenal history. Not just financially, but culturally as well. Because what Arsene Wenger was building at the time... It was literally a team that gelled in together and Anelka was never going to fit in that personality-wise. Not with Henri coming in. I don't know if I, Ooh, I, don't okay. know if I agree with you on that. Okay, go on. Because I think Tell me everywhere more. that Anelka went, yes. people liked him. You know, Henri said that they were friends growing up, that he like, considered him a friend. Most of the French players liked him. In fact, in t- 2010, the whole French team boycotted because Anelka got sent home. You know, it wasn't kind of like, oh good, you got that guy out of the way, he's a dickhead. It was like, that's our guy. You sent him home, so we're all going on strike. But the very fact that he left an Arsenal project under Arsene Wenger at that time to go pursue something different is exactly why he wasn't the right fit for the project. That's what I'm saying. I don't agree. What do you mean? It's, it's not like everybody who came into that project was super loyal to that project. 
You know what I mean? Overmars was out after a bit. Petit was out after a bit. Yep. Even Vieira and Henri all left before the age of 30. It wasn't a project that demanded ultimate loyalty. No, no, that's not what not I mean. That, no, no, that's not what I mean. I mean that the personality traits that he carried that led to him leaving would not have allowed him to fit in that project to make it a long-term thing for him, is what I'm trying to say. Does that make sense? Why? What do you mean? No. What, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. Like, the fact that he was a teenager who decided he wanted to leave because he didn't feel the fans appreciated him enough. Correct. There's plenty of examples of that through history. But not in where, that project. You know, the guy... That's what I'm saying. Yes. No. But listen, yeah. there's plenty of guys throughout history who felt like, I'm not being appreciated. The coach doesn't play me the way I wanted to, blah, 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 blah. Yep. And then for one reason or another, a transfer falls through. They stay at the club and they go on to stay there for years. Like these things are so fine lined. It's not about attitude as personality, personal responsibility, blah, 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 blah. Mm. These things, you know, can have an effect. Sure. But that's the thing is like, you know, to become like a star at the top and to stay at the top, you need a lot of things to go your way. If let's say that Arsenal didn't sell him, that Wenger didn't say, yeah, he wants to go sell him. Like maybe they had a, a person who was more stubborn who said, keep him along. Maybe it would have been a disaster, but there's no way that you can really know that he may not no. have come around and said, you know what, actually, this is my home and I want to stay here. I, yeah. I don't think that you can make that argument in good faith. Okay, fair enough. However, maybe it's not personality traits, decision making. Help me out. Decision making. Um... I don't know what you're trying to say, because honestly, what I'm trying to say is that his decision making was poor. He flirted a lot. What, like off the pitch? Yes, not on the pitch. Yeah, not he was saying. a teenager. He was a teenager. Vieira flirted with teams in Spain and Italy every season. Every season. Henri, same thing. Every season. You know what I mean? More or less. He'd always be like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be at Barcelona a couple of years. Fabregas, same thing. Oh. Samir Nasri, same thing. You know what I mean? Like, this is something that players do. It's a negotiation it's just tool. how it goes. Yeah, yeah it, I mean, it can be. Mm. Let's go back to well, anyways, okay, so let's let's talk a bit about but let's talk about the 2010 World Cup. So what yep. do you what do you remember about the 2010 World Cup? The 2010 World Cup, I remember it being an absolute shit show for the French squad. Let's talk about that. So the 2006 World Cup, but somehow Zidane dragged them through to the that's, final. Yes, that's right. Domenech oh, kept his job yes. and took him to Euro 2008. Where without Turam and Zidane, it was a complete disaster. Yes. Nasri got into fights with the media, was basically left off the team. Then 2010 comes around. Somehow, Dominic has still kept his job. That was insane. And he left out Benzema, Nasri, and Ben Arfa. Yeah. Took Anelka, who, by the way, had won Euro 2000, but was left off of, I think, more or less every subsequent roster from there on out. I mean, he might have played in 2008, actually. I mean, 12, but in he goes 12 the, years, he only played 69 games for France. So Man. Anelka did play in Euro 2008. Then he went to the 2010 World Cup. 2008 to 2012, he was at Chelsea. So these were his Chelsea years. And this was when he won the Golden Boot in the Premier League. At the 2010 World Cup, you know, if we rewind a bit, the playoff to make the 2010 World Cup was that infamous handball yes, incident by Henri. Which wasn't a handball. Where he you know, brought it down and assisted Galas. I believe Anelka scored the game-winning goal in that game that sent them to the World Cup. You know, there was so much controversy and shame and questions mm. about all this stuff that people, you know, were really criticizing Henri in this period. And when they went to the tournament, Henri was on the bench and Anelka was the starting striker. After Dominic, who never clicked with the players, the players never seemed to like this guy. And even in France today, they talk about him as like a poor coach who did really weird things like make his players do acting lessons <laughs> and allegedly picked players based on astrological signs. Like he had this weird grudge against Robert Pires, and he left Pires out of 
you know, the like pretty much every such an odd uh, time. team that he managed. Anyways, you know, this is a coach who was not well-liked, who did a lot of really weird things, was kind of naive tactically, it seemed. He was criticizing Anelka, allegedly, about his positioning. And Anelka came off and kind of gave him some words. Now, there's, I think the Dominic later came out and said that the words that were reported in the media were not true, that they were a little bit less harsh. Mm. But what he said is kind of like, as he was being criticized, Anelka supposedly said something like, it's up to you to do this or something like it should be you to do the tactics or something along those lines mm. and said something like, you know, it's your shitty team. Mm. And Dominic said, you're right. So you're off. It was a thing that obviously the players didn't like. The players took his side and then there was the big revolt. They boycotted training. They gave, handed a letter, ended up with uh, Evra, Toulalon, mm. decided to boycott. Mm. And so like, I think four players ended up getting suspensions. And yeah, and I mean, you know, in France, they, you know, even had Sarkozy, who was president at the time, come out and say that uh, this was a disgrace. This is the biggest disgrace and biggest scandal in French sports history. And so, I mean, do you remember anything of that time? See, here's the thing is I, I remember the 2006 World Cup and, and Dominic. I hated it. I just hated everything. I didn't like I, I can't say I hate the guy because I don't know the guy. And those are very strong words. But I remember he really annoyed me like in his team selection, in the things he was doing. And leading into the 2000 World Cup, you know, you know, you were saying no Benzema, no Ben Arfa, no Samir Nasri, who at the time were very good. And then this happened. And I remember, and it was like, what was it? It was South Africa. They lost the first game. And it was just an absolute mess. And you look at it and you got Nicolas Anelka and the players and all of the things that happened in, in that moment. You can't really... I mean, I don't play, I don't blame the players whatsoever. You know, you're if you're in an environment and being the manager, or the coach, or whatever, it's your responsibility to control the environment and the the team culture. And it was obvious that he'd lost the team a long, long time ago. You don't go to a World Cup like the World Cup is the pinnacle for you as a player, really, right? Absolute pinnacle. Mm-hmm. Playing at a World Cup for your country is one of the biggest things, and for an entire squad to boycott training and to say no. Nope, I'm not doing this for you, means that you lost them a long time ago. It didn't just happen at the World Cup. It didn't just happen in that moment. It was a long time ago. Um, And unfortunately, the French players took the brunt of it. Now, whether we talk about, we can talk about social inequality, we can talk about racism, we can talk about, you know, which players were highlighted at that time. You know, Patrice Evra took a lot of this flack at that time, if I remember correctly. Well, yeah, he was he was captain. Yeah, I'm actually gonna fact check you on one thing. Uh, France didn't lose the first game; they drew it nil nil to was. Uruguay. Yeah, and but they did um, they did lose yeah, to South lost, Africa, right? Yeah, they lost the two subsequent games to Mexico and to South Africa, um, and it was really you know disappointing performances. The team played horribly. Like it wasn't Awful. you know, in 2008 the team played really poor, and it seemed like the writing was on the wall. Dominic came off and decided to propose to his longtime girlfriend and supposedly she said no <laughs> yeah <laughs> and just a mess i mean yeah it was a mess and even in 2006 the team did not play well really until the round of 16 where zidane shined and Vieira had a big game and yeah. they kind of came alive and it was through individuals rather than as like a team team un- maybe a team unity but you know through the through the the skill and technique in 2010 despite having a decent team you know they were just awful and i think it really took until 2018 to like shed those demons a little bit, yeah. you know, even though Laurent Blanc came in and kind of stabilized the yes. team a little bit after that in 2014. But yeah, I mean, you know, what I remember is that it always felt a bit bizarre to me, the French 
national reaction, calling it a shame, a disgrace. You know, you even had guys like Turam come out and criticize the players for, you know, not representing their country well. And I did feel there was kind of a class and a race dynamic there, but that's also why it was interesting Turam's approach, because as we mentioned, you know, in our Turam episode, that Turam often took the side of the people versus right. the state. And so it was a bit interesting there, because I think a lot of people in this racist side of France, which definitely includes Sarkozy, mm. used Turam's words as like a bat to beat the team with. Okay. And, um, you know, I think there was definitely kind of a, a racial thing here, even though the players were all together in this and there, you know, there was a diverse team. But there was sort of this thing of like this team, which has a lot of black players in it, which mm. is, has a black captain, which is led by predominantly players who have, you know, African parentage. Or I think that it was really an easy time for people to just throw a lot of abuse their way. Yeah. It's not to say that the, the white players or the, you know, the Arab, well, I mean, the Arab players who weren't selected for the team in the first place, but, you know, they didn't get punishment as well because obviously Toulon was suspended and, you know, other players obviously joined the, the boycott as well. But I, I can't help but think that if the, the fact that the face of the team was black and that Anelka w- was the player that was, you know, sent home in that way, things might have ended differently. And I think it's really easy to point at the team dynamic and say, no, it's not racial whatsoever. It's not about class. It's not about... There's kind of this idea oftentimes in football that we must all listen to the manager. We must all sacrifice. Yes. And I think there's truth in that, right? If we all want to go out on the pitch and do our own thing, you won't find really any success or unity. And you do need some level of, whether it's authority or at least uh, togetherness, let's say. I think that's a good thing. But it can't be to a fault. It can't be authoritarian. You know, I think we've all seen coaches where, look, what this guy's doing just isn't working. And players of that caliber are typically smart enough when a whole team decides to boycott, something else is afoot here. You know, I don't think that Correct. the full levy can fall on the players alone. Correct. I mean, you're looking at a, a squad, you know, and, and Nicolas Anelka, Nicola Anelka putting himself in the firing line, which marries up very closely to what his personality is, right? Putting himself in the firing line getting it like and speaking out again those players are extremely experienced you're talking about some you know patrice erva nicolas anelka toulon you know you go through that squad who was the goalkeeper at the time it was loris, loris yeah you look at those players and you go those are really super experienced players and you look at zizou in in 2006 you know there was a lot of people saying that you know he's the one picking the team you know those rumors don't just come out and unfortunately, it happened at the World Cup where, you know, tensions are high. And unfortunately, from there on, Nikola Anelka's career, not started to dip, but it definitely started going off course. And then you had that whole situation at West Brom with the Canel sign. And then... Yeah, let's talk about that a bit, actually. Yeah. His period at West Brom. I read an article about that this morning. Mm. The team was actually just thrilled to have him. Yes. The, so the coach was a former assistant. Uh, I think it was Steve Clark who was at Chelsea. Yes had reached out to him and brought him, I believe brought him back from China, right? Um, yes. You know, because he had done that loan. Yes. And I know that him and Drogba went to China together to Shanghai and it just didn't really work out. I think they weren't getting paid or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And he still wasn't that old. You know, he was still kind of in his like early to mid thirties, which for an elite player, he can still, still contribute. Especially and at so, his you know, quality. People at, Especially at his quality. Yeah, absolutely. And people at West Brom said that he was very professional. He always trained hard, was always on time. He was very like friendly with all the guys on the team. He wouldn't go out of his way necessarily, but if you came and struck up a conversation, he would talk to him. Was outwardly friendly with a lot of the staff, actually, when you're talking about the people who work at the club besides the, the players themselves. And they said, you know, he wasn't 
super flash. Like, yeah, he had nice cars. He always looked professional. He always looked super, super well dressed. But he, you know, he didn't lord it over anybody. And if people kind of gave him a hard time, he he joked well with it. He dealt with it well, and he was really, you know, the top professional. Obviously, playing for West Brom at that time, who had who had finished the previous season quite well. They had finished, I think, around eighth place, and were trying to do the push on to get into kind of European places and, ho- and hope that Anelka could be that catalyst. Mm. Instead, they, it turned out that they struggled a bit. Anelka, you know, he wasn't able to come into the team and contribute the way that he wanted necessarily. And sometimes he was being left out of games. And then they had had change of managers a couple of times. He came in, he scored a double. And the second or the second goal, he, he did a celebration, which was the Canel celebration, which is kind of like an inverse Nazi salute. And it comes from, so for those of you who don't know what it is, it comes from a famous French comedian who's very kind of anti-establishment, for a long time was quite famous, mm. but took a kind of weird shift, I want to say, maybe 10, 15 years ago. Then his work really came out in what was arguably, and in my opinion, quite anti-Semitic. Mm. Come back to Anelka, he does this celebration. And the thing is, is that he said he's not anti-Semitic and it wasn't against Jews, it was more anti-systemic. Now, I trust Anelka in that that's what he believed it to mean, that he was going against the system, against authority and everything like that. However, the thing is, is when we talk about racism, when we talk about discrimination, things being offensive, it's not up to you to always say how those things are perceived. There's, There's a big example about Eminem talking about, you know, saying the the f word not the not fuck but you know the words yes. related to our you know our brothers and sisters and non-binary friends in the lgbtq community and how he would use that word but the way he meant it is that oh it's like my friend i just call him this it's not it doesn't have that meaning Correct. however if that word is found offensive it's offensive and i think that's how i fall on anelka's use of this so he was suspended he was banned for a bit West Brom lost their principal sponsor, and then, you know, the fallout of that led to the end of his career at the top level. Yeah, I agree with you. It's not, it's not his decision to decide what's offensive and what's not offensive and what's anti-Semitic and not, what, what's not anti-Semitic, right? And I think it was interesting by the ban that was handed down to him by the EFA. You know, they were clearly, they clearly said it was still offensive. It was still all the things that, you know, the ban was, but it wasn't that he was being anti-Semitic. They, they truly believed that he wasn't being anti-Semitic or being... I can't remember the exact words. Yeah, no, I think you're, you're right. It was that. Yeah, they basically said, we believe that he wasn't anti-Semitic and they had some like people come in and actually describe him and so on. But it's not his decision to decide whether it's anti-establishment or anti-Semitic. If people take it as anti-Semitic, well, right. it, it is in, in, from, from their perspective. But that's also ridiculous from the FA. Like the FA can't be like, okay, he's not anti-Semitic, but he's suspended for this thing. Well, I I mean, we can have an entire episode on the FA's banning systems and some of the the way that they do some of these fines. It's an absolute joke. I mean, like there's... Well, right, but isn't isn't this a... This is like related to the bigger systematic issue when people say like, oh, he said something racist, but he's not racist. You know? Oh, yeah. When really the answer is, is that we all have, you know, are somewhere on the spectrum. We all have racist biases and things. You can say something racist, you can do something racist. It's up to us to recognize those things and try to build a world where we're not influenced by those things as much and we're not expressing those things. But to say that 
yeah, he did something that is perceived to be anti-Semitic, but he's not an anti-Semite. It's not up to them to decide that. That's right. And then and then fine him 80,000. Was it 80,000 or 8,000? What did he miss? Five games? It was five games. There was some but... weird comparison with the Luis Suarez thing whereby... Did, did you read Suarez that? Suarez missed like yes. eight games and then, you know, but wasn't fi- was fined half as much. And it just seems so arbitrary. And, you know, of course, these things are slightly political as well. You know, like you're dealing with outside forces and pressures and stuff, but... He was fined 80,000 I mean, 80, pounds. Let's talk about the documentary. Why do you think this documentary is being made? Is it to rewrite his legacy? Is it, you know, is it, it's kind of like Michael Jordan, you know, the last dance was to, to highlight his legacy and how, you know, what he did was incredible and, you know, it's probably never going to be done again, right? But Nikola Anelka, you wouldn't necessarily say that there's going to be a documentary made about him unless it's to rewrite his legacy, to right some wrongs that he feels that he's been super wronged by, you know what I mean? Why now, 10 years after 2010? I got you. I got this. Okay, answer. here we go. You ready for this? Shoot. Get it. We all know that Jordan started to agree to make The Last Dance because people started talking about LeBron being the greatest of all time. Started to realize, like, there are people out there who are adults, never saw me play basketball. So I got to change this narrative. I got to bring him back to let him know how good I was. Mm. For Anelka, it's a bit different. You know, I don't think Anelka necessarily needs to be thought of as the GOAT. You know, and I don't really think he's in that conversation. No. However, I think after 2018, there was kind of this like lift in France that suddenly, you know, the shame that we felt in 2010 is gone. And so I think after 2018, people started to really look back. And actually, there was a podcast released just a few months ago by SoFoot, a French football uh, media company, it had a five part series on what happened in 2010. And I think this is something that people are looking back now. And asking, like, what really happened there? Like, was it that simple? Why did they react in this way? And, you know, there's enough time now and there's less shame attached that you don't have to just have this visceral, angry reaction. Mm. And really the catalyst of that 2010 incident was Nicolas Anelka. And I think on that, yeah, let's talk Pantheon. okay we're back hey honey how do you like that music that we just listened to there incredible thank you julian forte yeah shout out to julian really appreciate you becoming a part of our project also a member of gorilla fc living up in ireland at the moment i'm a fan that's great music to transition into the pantheon so honey here's what we're going to talk about today let's do it let's talk about best french strikers after 1998 until today so for the last 22 years, the best French strikers. Pantheon, where does Anelka fall? Ooh, I like Okay. Um, all right, let's, let's... 98. I'm just going to throw out some names. 98 till now. Yeah, 98 till now. So we're talking yeah. David Trezeguet, Henri, Benzema, Giroud, my guy. And then we've got Anelka. Viltord. Oh, Viltord. Viltord. Oh, I forgot about him. Mbappe. Does he count? 98 till today. Isn't he a winger? No. Okay. That's cool. He's kind of a wide forward, but he's a striker. Okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. And then Griezmann. Griezmann, Saha. Oh, yeah, Saha. Ooh, it's a tasty list. Gignac. Yeah. Meh. I mean, he's around. He's around there. Dominic's. Gignac. Dominic's. Lacazette. And Lacazette. Ooh. Man, what a list. Man, there have been incredible French strikers. French forwards. Wow. Yes, yes. Wow. Where does Anelka sit in that? This is like such a hard list. 
I'm going to put Henri at number one, mostly because what? he is the all-time leading goal scorer. Um, you know, throughout most of his career, he was the first choice striker as well for the French national team. Even though he's not loved as much as like a Trezeguet is loved in France, mm. I think he is still the top. After that, you ready? You ready for some spice? It better be Giroud. Mbappe, number two. Oh, okay. I mean, the kids, the kids got everything. He's good. And he was, for me, the catalyst for 2018, way more than oh, Griezmann. 100%. Yes, without a doubt. I don't, I don't disagree with that. And then I'm going to put Benzema at number three. Benzema has been so good his whole career. He's o- he was always the best player for France when he played for France. He's had an incredible career. This year in particular, he stepped up in a way that, you know, he was always kind of playing second fiddle to Cristiano, being more of a creator than a goal scorer. But he's also showed this year that he can be the goal scorer as well. He can mm. be the catalyst. Mm. So I'm going to put Benzema three. I'm going to put... I'm going to put Anelka 4, and I'm going to put Trezeguet 5. Now, hold on. I think yeah, we're gonna, Trezeguet we're gonna have a fight. had a better career. Having a fight. I think Trezeguet had a better career, but I think Anelka was the better striker. How does Giroud not make your top 5? I think Giroud has been, had a great career, but I don't think he's better than any of those players. He's number 3 on the France list. I'm looking at... I'm looking, For I'm what? Looking, All-time goals? Yes, yeah, I'm looking at goals. I'm looking yeah, at stats. Yeah, but I mean, come on. I mean, stats. He's had the complete trust of Deschamps, even when he probably didn't deserve it, even when there were players playing better, even when he wasn't like, starting for his club team. I think Giroud has overachieved in his career. I think he's been incredible. His, you know, his finishing ability is good. He's a great striker. He's somebody who I have a great appreciation for. I'm not a Giroud hater by any means. Mm. But in terms of like, having it all, he's not in the top five, man. Come on. No, no. Okay, fine. All right. All right, here we go. I agree, Henri, number one. Mbappe, number two, is a big, big shout, but I can see why you've done it, and I'm going to agree with it. Because he will be number one. He will be, like, without a doubt. Very likely. I'm going to have to describe. I think Trezeguet goes in number three. I think Benzema then comes in at number four. Benzema's had a great yeah. season this year, but, and he's had a good career, but Benzema's never lit it up like Trezeguet has. Do you really think Trezeguet lit it up? Like, well, I mean, ever... I mean, we're talking about goal. I'm not, I'm not talking about like, like, yes, Benzema's probably technically a more exciting player, but I would say Trezeguet's better than him at doing what I he does. I convince you that Benzema's better than Trezeguet, but you're still going to put Trezeguet. Three I wouldn't do that. Four, you know, you know, I admit, I'd admit if I was wrong, Justin. It's about bettering yourself. Okay. No, I mean, um, I, I don't think that's that hot a take, honestly. I think no, Trezeguet can just, be three and Benzema can yeah, be four. That's opinion. fine. It's just an opinion. Yeah. I'm going to go Giroud 5, and I'm going to go Anelka 6. Giroud definitely makes... you got to be kidding No, no, no. Giroud, 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 no, Giroud definitely... he's better than Anelka? Yes. I think so. I think so. Finishing better? We want to, dribbling better? You, you, What's he better you at? You said it yourself. You said it yourself. He overachieved in his career, and the only way that he's done that is by being Giroud, by creating his own goals, his own opportunities, and doing what he's done in those moments. Yes, he's been given he a lot of chances. his own opportunities. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, okay. He's finished the opportunity. the player once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He's, <laughs> he's finished the opportunities given to him, but I'm, I'm going to put it out. I'm going to put it out there. That's, that's my hot take. That's Giroud, number five, and Elka, number six. I think, like, going back to Chris Hemsworth, I think Giroud is your Chris Hemsworth. You just have a big crush on this guy, and that's why you're bumping him up. Me and Deschamps. Me and Deschamps, we just, we just know. I guess two things can be true. <laughs> 
Okay, so you have Anelka somehow at six behind Giroud. I and do. I've got him at four. And then, I'd probably, um, I mean, I'd throw Griezmann in at seven behind Anelka. I would put Griezmann ahead of Giroud, to be honest. Personally. Why do you hate the guy? What he done? What, what's he done? I to don't you? hate Giroud what, at all. What's he I done don't to you? think he's. Why? Let's put it this way: he's somebody who the streets will remember. 100%. You know what I mean? The scorpion kick, the combination with Jack Wilshire goal. No, no hate for Giroud. Technique. I think he's incredibly limited as a player, but I think Griezmann's a better player. Number three on France's all-time goal scoring list. He's got a better. Two, he's got a Platini. Platini. He's got a better goal to game ratio than Thierry Henry does. He's got a better goal to game to goal ratio than Karim Benzema does by quite a bit. Man, the guy's the guy's a full package. I'm telling you right now. If he was a little bit quicker, he would have won the Ballon d'Or. Boom. That's my hot take. And thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you on the show, Justin. Yeah, let's call this quits. Okay, I'm I'm done with you. <laughs> Alrighty. Well. Thanks for listening. Make sure you tweet at us at Justin Sahani and this is Hani Jabber. And make sure you subscribe to The Streets Will Remember on your favorite podcasting platform. And we'll be back next week. See you soon. Bye.